Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here, and this is a message series all about uh, empty tanks and filling our tanks, moving our lives from E to F, giving our faith a little bit of extra oomph and and push and vitality, and it's the way that we're talking about uh, God the Holy Spirit today. And today's message is called, When Doing the Right Thing Isn't the Right Thing. When Doing the Right Thing Isn't the Right Thing. And like all the messages in this particular series, it comes from the New Testament book of Acts. And so if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to go ahead and locate Acts chapter 2 and starting at verses 42 and following verses 42 through 47 pretty much. And, and you, you may not know this, you may be quite familiar with it, but the, the, the book of Acts is, is kind of a, a unique uh, creature within the New Testament library. The, all, all the, the Bible's not a book, but it's a library of a lot of books written by many authors over a long span of time and in in a lot of writing styles. And, and the book of Acts is really the New Testament's kind of history book about how was it that the church started, how did it expand, how did it gain influence, and, and what was it, who was it that really propelled the movement of the early church. And so we're going to get to see a snapshot of the church's life today in Acts chapter 2. And this is, we'll be talking about events that happened just a mere, mere weeks after Jesus died and rose again. And and that's one thing that we know about the Bible, that not book is library. The, the other thing that we remind ourselves about, and if, if you've been coming here, you may know what I'm going to say. And if you're new, you don't know what I'm going to say, but we, we like to have clarity about where we stand regarding the Bible. And, and it's this, that, that we believe there's no other library like this one on earth, that God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. It's, where, it's what we believe as leaders in this church. You may not be there yet, and that's okay. Or, or you may be like, thank you for a church that believes it and says it. We, we just like to have that clarity wherever you are on that spectrum. And because we believe these things about the Bible, when we talk about the Bible, we do something a little bit different. And we lift it up. And again, if you haven't never been here before, you've never tuned in before, and there's phones and Bibles in the air, and you're just like, that's kind of a little bit different. And, and we admit it. We don't get defensive. We're going, yeah, it's kind of, kind of a strange moment. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the Word and ready for its power to be unleashed in our lives. So let's pray. So God, thank you that your, your word is reliable. Your word is true. And, 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 and thank you that your word is the product of more than just brilliant writers. But your word is the product of your Holy Spirit. And I ask that same Holy Spirit would, would fill me in these moments for this occasion and this gathering. Lord, I'm just really glad, delighted to be able to declare that I am powerless without you. But because of you, I'm not helpless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's something to be said for doing the right thing. Isn't there? There, there? There's something to be commendable about doing what is expected. Like your, your boss calls you down to her office, and even though you don't really want to go, you, you go. Why? Because it's, it's the thing you're supposed to do when your boss 
tells you to do something. It's why you go to your sister's wedding, even though you're feuding with that same sister, but you go anyway because parents, because family. This is why you pay your bills on time. It's why you don't cut in line at the airport or at Carowinds. Do you? It's why you do what is expected and what is normal, what is required. It's really kind of those, those spoken and unspoken values that people have as communities, as society, and it really is the way things work. You, you need people who do the right thing, or pretty soon you'd be all in chaos. And, and for people who were Jewish... At the time that the church was born, at the time of Jesus, added to that list of things that of doing the right thing, doing what is expected and commendable, is was tithing. Yeah, drawing from places in in the Old Testament, like the book of Leviticus. We're going to throw these words up on the screen. Leviticus chapter twenty-seven and verse thirty: a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now again, these ancient people, they didn't deal in cash, they dealt in crops. And their their economy wasn't based on credit, it was based on bartering and negotiating. And, And yet, one area where they did not negotiate was this idea that the first tenth the first one tenth of first ten percent of your products, your your harvest, goes back to God. That's why Malachi, who's the la- or Malachi, if you're Italian, that's why he who who closes the Old Testament and, and he he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And and he's he's literally don't believe a preacher who says that means bring all your cash to church. No, it's not what he's talking about. He was literally, bring your wheat, your barley, your corn, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And, and, and this thing about that, that ancient Jewish people did, that it was assumed and expected, this tithing, it was good. It, it was right. It, it kept the, the worship of God going because they, they would bring this product to the temple to ensure that, that the temple worship would continue. And, and for those people who were tithing on their crops, it gave them a kind of a healthy perspective on what's theirs and what belongs to God. So all this, this tithing, bring that 10, 10%, it's all good and right and it keeps things going. And, and what you need to know is that virtually everyone who was part of the very first church was exactly that. They were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The church started in Jerusalem, the capital of everything that is Jewish. And these followers of Jesus who were Jewish, it had been drilled into their minds from the youngest of age. Yeah, that tithing, bringing the first fruits of your harvest to God, that's all good and that's right. And, And these people, these first people in the church, they had also had their tank, because Jesus died and rose again, and they saw it happen, they'd had their tanks filled with God the Holy Spirit. They, they'd moved from empty vessels, and because of the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives, their, their, their faith had punch, and their, their, their life had oomph to it. And, and they, as, as if you're with us last week, and if you weren't, I'm so glad that, that you're here today. But if you're with us last week, we learned that the Holy Spirit is not an it, He's a he. 
Don't, please don't call him an it. He's a he. The Holy Spirit's not a ghost. He's God. And we saw maybe more than anything else last week that the Holy Spirit specializes in deflecting attention away from himself and putting the spotlight upon Jesus, that, that the Spirit's role really in the life of, uh, of planet Earth and in the life of the church is to put the spotlight on Jesus. And, and, and we talked last week that, man, if you really want that ump, that, that punch in your life, if you want to move your own tank from empty to full, just savor the Savior. Let, let your, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, let yourself be thrilled with the Savior, the, the reality, just dwell on the fact that Jesus is Lord and there is no other. And so when we get to Acts chapter 2, which again, remembers kind of how the very first church, the, the one there in Jerusalem, how it started, how it expanded, what it was that propelled it. Before we, got to, before we get to the, the verses we're going to look at today, there's this thing that happens. Some of you know this and others of you don't, and it's, it's, it's okay. It's called the day of Pentecost. And that's where churches, they're called Pentecostal. That's where they get their name. And the Holy Spirit comes like a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. And 3,000 people get baptized. And all the disciples are, are speaking in languages they didn't know. And dogs and cats living together. I mean, it's just mayhem. It's mayhem in the, in the city of Jerusalem because of the Holy Spirit coming. And, and, and after all of that, that's all the first part of the Acts chapter 2, Luke who's the author of the book of Acts. I don't know if you knew that. He wrote the gospel of, yes! And the book of Acts is like volume two of the gospel of Luke. He decides, after all that mayhem of the first part of chapter two, he's gonna give us a snapshot of what life in the early church was like. It's as if he says, okay, you wanna see how these people did their lives together? Check it out. And it starts in Acts chapter two, verse 42. And look what Luke says. They devoted, they, meaning the early church, these 3,000 people who just become followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's really a, a beautiful little scene and explains so much of why churches do what they do. It's why we gather. It's why we teach. It's, it's why we pray. It's why we have communion but, but what I really love, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I love that. They didn't devote themselves to thinking up new stuff. They devoted themselves to excavating ancient truths. And, and we say this a lot at Good Shepherd, but we don't invent new teaching. We, the teaching that we inherit is good enough, and the, the gospel never runs out. It never gets old. We, we, we never move beyond the gospel. We have this privilege of dig, digging deeper down into it, and, that, and that, that comes because of these very first followers of Jesus who they devoted themselves not to their own innovation, but to the apostles' teaching. Look where it goes from there, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So as they would gather together, people would have their breath taken away because the move of God was so dramatic and there were signs and there were wonders and there were healings and there were miracles. And a lot of times we in the 21st century, we read these words and we're like, oh man, 
why didn't that stuff still happen? Why, why did all the good stuff happen in the Bible and, and we don't get it anymore? And if you ever ask that question or have that feeling, I just want to invite you to open your eyes. Because I've been, been on this very church campus before when someone comes into one of our healing services, bent over with pain in the back and, and essentially immobile because of what back pain was doing. And after the healing service, he was running around in the parking lot doing sprints and jumping jacks. Or, or maybe slightly less dramatically, but, but I've been there for the, the guy that we worked with to move him off of what was killing him, which was alcohol and drugs. And now 10 years later, that same guy is completely sober and that which was killing him is no longer part of his life. And it's every bit as miraculous as the events that you see in Acts chapter 2. So if you wonder, where, where's the move of God today like we saw it in Bible days? I just want to invite you to, to open your eyes. And see the world through the eyes of faith. And look what happens next. Verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Oh, Lord. Now remember, these people were Jewish. So that it had been conditioned into them from the youngest of ages. Tithing is the right thing. Give 10% and you are good with God. 10% of your crops goes to God first and you will be in good shape if you continue to do that. And yet these people, the, the very first people in the church, because they've had this encounter with the Holy Spirit, because their own tanks have gone from E to F, it is as, as if they have lost their minds. They don't give God just the 10% anymore. What are they doing? They're selling their possessions and they're giving to anyone who had need. That, that, that like, if you were to ask these folks who, who've been touched with the Holy Spirit, tithing, and they'd be like, nah, we're giving everything. And it lets you see, because we think, you know, we think when someone gets touched with the Holy Spirit, th- think about what goes through your mind. If there's somebody in your life who's, who's really, they've been filled with God, the Holy Spirit, you're like, oh, they're the ones who lift their hands in, in, in church. Come on, you, or maybe they're the, ones, they're the ones who pray in tongues. Or they're the ones who put a bumper sticker on their car. Or they're the ones who wear the Christian t-shirt. And yet, what does Acts chapter 2 tell us? What does it say is not only the evidence of someone who has been touched with the Holy Spirit and filled with God the Holy Spirit, but also accelerates even more filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, he goes right to, right, yeah, it it might touch our, our attitudes in worship and our ability to pray, but mark my words, the movement of the Holy Spirit in someone's life will have everything to do and will influence to a large degree how they respond to the whole idea of generosity. Because here's, here's where it leads us. The, the Holy Spirit turns us from people who ask, what's the right thing? To people who, de- who declare, here's my everything. That's what the, when the Holy Spirit, when, when your life gets characterized, my faith is no longer boring I've allowed myself to be filled with God, the Holy Spirit. My faith now has oomph and punch to it. It will, it will get to the place where it's not so much that we or any ministry has to try to conjure money out of you. 
It's instead about restraining you from giving too much. The the Holy Spirit turns us from asking, what's the right thing? What's the minimum to declaring, Lord, here's my everything. Now, some of you, maybe a lot of you, reading these words in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, and I I know what you're thinking because I think the same thing. You're like, that's communism, or, or at least socialism. And you know what? It kind of is, except notice. Notice it's all voluntary, that the Politburo is not the one establishing the standards of who gets what and how much you have to give. Instead, these people have been so gripped by the Holy Spirit that they can't help but give and give in abundance. And, and they're, they're, they're real question, as we look at these kind of unsettling words, they sold everything and gave to everyone as he had need. And, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, ah, the, the makers are giving away to the takers. And the question to ask is, does Luke mean these words to be descriptive or prescriptive? Which is a way of asking, is he simply describing the way that things worked in the very first church? Or is he saying to all churches and all subsequent generations, go and do that likewise. Sell your stuff. Don't have a, share all of your possessions in common. This is the way that you should live as a church. Well, as we kind of reflect on that question, it is helpful to know that we know from other books in the New Testament that people continue to own homes. And we know that they continue to own homes because that's where churches met. So, so if you see any New Testament letter like to the Romans or the Corinthians or the Galatians, all, all those kind of people, th- those churches met in homes. So pe- not everybody in every church everywhere sold their homes. We also know that there were still some, some income inequality, I guess you would call it. That was one of the major issues going on in Corinth. The the reason there was a 1 Corinthians is in large part because the rich Corinthians were not treating the less well-off Corinthians well. And the reason there's a 2 Corinthians is because 1 Corinthians didn't work. And he had to write them another letter to really lay it down on them. And and then we we also know that this same church in Jerusalem, because we're reading about all this stuff happening in Jerusalem, we know that about 10, 15, maybe 20 years later, Paul author of so many New Testament letters, he had to organize this incredible, immense, special offering for the church back in Jerusalem because they had come into terrible hardship. And we don't know, but were they in terrible hardship because everybody in the church had sold their property 10, 20 years earlier? We don't know. We don't know that for sure. All we know is that, that Paul made sure that the mother church, the mothership back in Jerusalem got the resources that they need. But see, what I want you to know is really thinking about that question. I mean, was, was, that, was, was the first church, was it more Reagan or Gorbachev? Was it free market or controlled plan, central plan economy? That misses the mark of what Luke is trying to tell us. What Luke is trying to tell us. It is that when you allow yourself to be open to, touched by God, the Holy Spirit, 
The result is so much generosity that a church doesn't have to pull resources out of you. It instead has to restrain you from giving too much. Because here's here's what we do. We, in 2021, so many of us are scared of giving away too much and not leaving ourselves with enough of a cushion. The early church was afraid of giving too little and so missing out on the move of God. Because the Holy Spirit turns us from asking, what's the right thing? Because the right thing is tithing. And and we we stop asking that and we start declaring, Lord, here, here's my everything. So it's interesting to me because I've been preaching for 30 years and, and, you know, in in those 30 years, talk about money on on occasions, probably at least 30 occasions over, over 30 years. And, but people's motivations are so interesting. What, what actually motivates people towards generosity and, and whether it has to do generosity towards the church or generosity in general. And, and, and I was, I was actually talking uh, about this a couple years ago with Chris Macedo, our pastor of worship arts. And, and he said the most interesting thing. He said, you know, Talbot, you, you don't have to really motivate me and Lauren to give. We know what the Word says, and we just simply give out as as an act of obedience. The Bible says it, and and so we do it, and you don't really need to touch our hearts very much. That's why we give. And and as I thought about that sort of motivation, I realized that's pretty much been my story as well. We kind of know what the Word says, and so we've decided to follow it. But other people are motivated differently. Other people are motivated by vision. You, you, you have to kind of draw a picture for people, touch their hearts, and then they will respond w- w- generously. And, and, and that's why through the years, you know, we, we have talk, we've talked about freeing victims of human trafficking. And we've talked about feeding a million people. We've talked about a beautiful ma- the beautiful marriage movement. And, and in talking about all those kind of projects, and I can see it happen in the lives and the hearts of the people of the church, man, they are touched, they are motivated, not so much out of simple obedience, but out of vision. I get to be part of that. And, and, I, and I've had some pretty extraordinary checks handed to me in just those kind of seasons. And what I want you to know is neither one of those is right and neither one is wrong, whether it's obedience or, or simple obedience or giving towards vision. They're both okay. It's, 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 it's how people are wired. However, However, I realize in this series that whether I simply appeal to people's sense of obedience or whether I appeal to people's sense of vision, I'm still getting it all wrong. Because maybe instead of appealing to one of those two motivations, how about we just center it on the awe and the wonder of what you have been given in Jesus? That when you, and I think we even have an image of what it is that you have been given in Jesus. And when you look at the cross and you savor the fact that Jesus descended into hell so you don't have to go there. That if not for his intervention in your life, you really would be consigned consigned to an eternity without Jesus, which is what we also call hell. And you've had this but God moment in your life. You were going off your own way, but God. And and so I realized, man, if, if we can just get people to savor 
Get people to delight in the fact that you are loved. Yeah, you. You who drank too much last night. You're loved. You who swore at your kids in the car coming to church this morning. You are loved. You who blew up a family 10 years ago. And you've been wandering around kind of lonely and isolated ever, ever since. You are loved. You who aren't even sure if you believe in this Jesus I've been talking about and this word that we lift up when we gather, you are loved. When you realize that you're loved and there's nothing you can do to prevent it, there's nothing you can do or say or accomplish, no destruction you could wreak that would make God love you any less. You are loved. And when you get that, when you savor that, when you understand that, I think we'd be a lot like the church in Acts chapter 2. We don't have to try and pull money out of people. Oh, man, we got to restrain them from giving too much. Because the Holy Spirit turns us from asking, what's the right thing to declaring, Lord, here's everything. And, and, and when you get to that place, when you realize the depth to which you are loved, man, this kingdom math, y'all ready for some kingdom math here? This kingdom math is so true. 100% minus 10% equals 110%. 100% minus 10%. Well, it should equal 90%. Y'all are math geniuses. I know this. But in reality, it equals 110%. People who move their generosity level to tithing, they end up with so much more than they ever expected to. And you know why that is? You never miss what was never yours. Because the Holy Spirit turns us from asking, what's the right thing? What's the bare minimum? To saying to God, hey, here's my everything. Really, I, I would love it for the people of this church. Because I, I know you, and I, and, and I don't know, know all of you. I know a lot of you. And, and I know that, that a lot of people, when, when, when it comes to money and, and, and church and preachers standing up to talk about money in church, it's, and you didn't know that money had anything to do with the Holy Spirit, hello, has everything to do with the Holy Spirit. And, and people can be a little bit suspicious and a little bit skeptical. And, and, if, and if that's you, you never really started giving at all, just test me on this for 90 days. From now till the end of January. And because, because this is so not about how this church is doing, this is so not about you giving dollars to the church because the church has been supernaturally blessed. And I don't have any reason to think we never won't be Test me on this between now and January and, and give it somewhere else. We've already we've given you the children's attention home down in Rock Hill. Give there the Salvation Army. Give there the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Give there. Just make sure that you put someone else at the front of the line other than yourself for what you do with your resources. And at the end of those 90 days, if, if it's not true that you don't miss what was never yours, you go right back to that same old existence of, of asking, well, what's the bare minimum? What's the right thing? 
just know that you will miss out on the joy and the purpose that comes from declaring, here's my everything. Because after all, what what kind of God do we serve? What is the first verb of God? For God so loved the world that he loaned, that he sold, that he negotiated. No, God so loved the world that he gave. And when we realize that we have been made in the image of God, there's not a single one of you within the sound of my voice who is not made in the image of God himself. And when you understand, oh, I am made in God's image, God is a giver, first verb applied to God, Well, hello, I'm not a stingy person after all. I am, giving is not my duty. It's absolutely my design. And the power to do all that comes from the Jesus who didn't give you the right thing. He gave you his everything. May you be empowered by that Savior and the Spirit who spotlights Him today. Let's pray. So Lord, we are grateful that You are good. And thank You that there is not a single person in the sound of my voice who's not made in Your image. And because we are made in Your image, we are designed to give. I just ask that at as we respond to being filled, having our tanks filled with the goodness of the Holy Spirit, that that would not only be an indication, our generosity wouldn't only indicate it, but it would accelerate it even more. Thank you that we can, in fact, surrender, not some, but all. In Jesus' name.